Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. Now this morning, we're going to do something a little bit differently. Today is Father's Day, as you know, and I have invited two fathers that have extensive experience as fathers to come and be part of a panel, a presentation, to talk to you about the role of fathers in bringing up children in a Christian home and Christian environment. Now, I see one of the speakers here. I don't know if, if, if anybody's... Oh, the other one's right here, too. Why are you hiding? <laughs> so we can, set up the, we can set up the table. Well, good morning again. Today, uh, we take pride in recognizing and honoring the fathers in our life, as I said in the opening prayer. And as a point of fact, I think all of you would agree that none of us would be here today without a father. <laughs> oh, I forgot there is immaculate conception. <laughs> so we salute our natural fathers, and we also salute those who have a fathering influence in our lives, as I said in the opening prayer. And of course, we honor all the fathers who are here at Crenshaw Christian Center who are part of our extended family. Now, we're honored this morning to have two experts in the field of fathering. I think they really need no introduction, but let me introduce you to them uh, by name. On my far right, Stan Sanders. Stan Sanders, my God. Stan Johnson. I don't know if you, do anybody know who Stan Sanders is? He was a classmate of mine. Well, actually, he was behind me in high school. But he went on to be a top uh, athlete at Whittier College where Nixon went and on to become a Rhodes Scholar and an attorney uh, out in California. Very successful. Good friend of mine. And I sometimes confuse the name. Stan Johnson. Thank you. <laughs> And next to me, Glenn Macmillan. Now, as I said already, we want to look at the important role that fathers play in bringing up children in a Christian home and Christian environment. So now, what is it that makes these two an expert? Well, I think longevity can speak to that. Between the two of them, they have over 80 years of marriage, close to 80 years of experience in fatherhood, 37, Glenn, 40 for Stan, 38? Combine? Well, no, no, we're gonna combine. No, I'm, no, no, I'm gonna do, oh, I, okay. I, 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 I have a process. Okay. No. So, right off the top, you're looking at close to 80 years of experience in fatherhood, but, their expertise goes beyond the concurrent years of, from the time that their first child was born. So when you look at it this way, Glenn has three children, ages 37, 28, and 26. When you add these years together, you have 91 years of experience. Stan has five children, ages 40, 38, 36, 32, 
and 27. When you add these years together, you get 173 years. <laughs> when you add 91 from Glenn and 173 from Stan, you have 264 years of fatherhood experience. Now, let me, let me explain to you how we get to that point. And this is a determination that I make based on my own experience. I grew up, as some of you know, in a family of 11. And I was positioned in the sequence so I could really see the growth of my older siblings and I could also see the growth of my younger siblings. And I can tell you that each sibling was a unique experience, a unique set of challenges, <laughs> and a unique set of learning experiences that each brought to my mother and father. So rather than look at the experience in terms of concurrent, meaning concurrent from the time the first one was born, and you start, when you add it together sequentially and accumulatively, fathers get credit for each child because each child presents, and I'm sure they'll bear this out, each child presents their own or his own or her own unique set of challenges and experiences and opportunities for learning, as I said. So that's how we get the cumulative number of years. So you're looking at two experts. Now, the the uh, I don't want to get bogged down on this determination because whether we give them the 91 and 174, uh, if we just give them the 40 and 37, that's a tremendous tremendous number of years of experience in fatherhood. So we can learn from their experience and their example. And we do everything here based on what we learn in the Bible. And one of the chief ways you learn, and this is spelled out in the word, and I'm going to give you a few examples of this, is that you learn by example. In all of his teaching, Jesus basically taught by example. When he said, come and follow me, he didn't mean just come and walk behind me. He meant come and follow my example and imitate what I do. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about listening and hearing from two experts and perhaps learning to imitate or follow some of the things that they did in this area. But let me just give you some scripture for using this as a teaching method. 1 Peter 2.21, you can just write this down, you don't have to go there. 1 Peter 2.21 says this, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Leaving you an example to imitate, imitating Jesus. Now, in John 15, the Gospel of John 15, verses 9 through 11, Jesus says this, just as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide ye in my love. What he's saying is that I learned from the Father through the love that he expressed to me, and I'm imitating him by expressing love to you. Uh, Jesus is saying that he is loving us because he learned this from the Father. Now, in John chapter 13, verses 4 through 15, and you just mark this down, and, and, and when you go there, you'll know the story. I, I use this in several messages before. This is the example where Jesus washed the feet of each disciple. 
And after he had finished, he said this, and this is in verses 15 and 14, or 14 and 15 in John chapter 13. You can mark it down. He says this, if then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, you can write it down and check it out later. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 1, Apostle Paul writes this, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Paul is saying, learn from and follow my example, which I developed by imitating and following Christ. Hebrews 6.12 tells us to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Ephesians 5.1, we are told, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. In other words, do what Jesus did. Walk in love as God did. We are to do the same thing. And finally, one more. Hebrews 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 7 says this. Remember your leaders who spoke God's message to you. Reflect on the outcome of their lives and imitate their faith. Reflect on the outcome of their lives and imitate their faith. Again, this is saying to learn from their example and imitate their faith that produced this example. So let's begin and see how we can learn from these two experts uh, who are seated here before you. Uh, and again, we are looking at the role of the father in bringing up children in Christian households and in a Christian environment. So gentlemen, my first question to you is this, and it might be just a yes or no answer, you can elaborate. Would you say that being a good father begins with being a good husband? Yes, but being a good father, being a good husband starts with being a good man. Amen. I would agree with Stan that uh, being a good father starts with being a good husband. And even in circumstances where the marriage may or may not work out, and there are some circumstances where that may not happen, there is still um, a response, there's still an effect on how you treat the mother of your children that bears on the type of father that you can example in front of your children. All right. Now, fatherhood, like being a husband, is basically a process of on-the-job training. But both of you probably can point to someone or more than one in your life who was able to give you some valuable information that was helpful, helpful to you along the way in your role as father and husband. Could have been parents, could have been other relatives, could, could have been a teacher or coach or some other influence. It could have been, as I like to point out, it could have been a matter of learning about the family through the teachings of Apostle Frederick K. Price who spoke and wrote extensively on this. Or it could have been you're learning this from another religious teacher. Any comments on that? Well, in my case, my, my list is long. I was fortunate enough to grow up in a very healthy environment and I'd have to start with my father, uh, Percy McMillan, and the example that he set in my home and the type of uh, leadership that he provided in the home as an example. 
But even further than that, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a community where every family on my block had a father. So I was able to not only interact with my dad, but all the dads on the block, Mr. Scott, uh, Mr. Joe Green, um, you know, uh, Mr. Johnny Clemens, and all of these men played a role in my personal development as well as being an example of what a father should look like in a home. And then even further outside of that, there were teachers and coaches and various ministers that, uh, and friends and people that I just picked out of my social situations that exampled uh, what a father should look like. And uh, it made me think about what type of father that I wanted to be when I became a father. And as far as, uh, you know, uh, ministries, uh, although I was deep into fatherhood, uh, by the time this church was founded, I had followed uh, Apostle Price back since the 1970s, and I, you know, uh, garnered his teachings. But later in life, I became uh, more intimate with the family and even uh, with his children, and I consider them uh, friends of mine, and I've had uh, extensive conversations on the type of father that he was in his home, and it mirrored the type of father that I tried to be. So it confirmed all the things that I had come to learn and come to believe and try to be the example of today. Stan? <laughs> Glenn said it all. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, mine was a different road. Uh, my father passed away when I was 12 years old. So my comment on learning to be a, a good man first was uh, a lot I learned from just my mother explaining different things, my aunts explaining things about how my father was, who my father was, so that I could grow and live and imitate some of his uh, good qualities. Uh, as I became older, I was very uh, conscious of the men that I looked at in church, that I looked at uh, and through high school in deciding what a man was, what a good man was. And those were the type of examples that I looked at. Uh, I got married at a young age and uh, always desired to be a good husband. In looking at the years that I spent looking at Dr. Price, on television, on the Crusades, I got a little bit, uh, I saw him six times a year for many years. I saw his family six times a year or more. I looked at Dr. Price through his children because I always looked if a man could raise good children and they weren't phony, but they were real. What he was teaching about, he, he not only taught about it, but you could see it in his children. So he became a great example for me. His family series became a great example for me. Uh, there were stories that he told 
I'll just give you one short story where he talked about uh, Stephanie where she had an ear infection. She reached a certain age where he told her, I can pray for you, but at this point in your life, you need to pray for yourself to receive your healing. So there were just different examples that he put out. So he was definitely one uh, large mentor in my life. Amen. Now, both of you basically were raised in a Christian home yourself. Uh, just speak for a minute or so on the importance of raising a child in a Christian home, in a Christian environment. How important is that? Well, Uncle Bothy, I think that's very important. I was raised in a Christian home. I opened my eyes in a baby blanket in church and have been in church ever since. So as I probably even more so than having a PhD in fatherhood, I have a PhD in church. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, you know, so, it, but it, 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 was, it was very important, it, I, and I believe it's very important. One, if a father is a godly father, it shows that he is accountable to someone, to his children. A man who is not accountable to any man, anyone is a man who's out of control. So when your children see that you are accountable to someone higher than yourself, it helps them become accountable to you because nobody wants to be accountable to someone who's not accountable. So not only being accountable to God, but being accountable to my wife, and boy, am I accountable. <laughs> I think that that sets the foundation and the boundaries for uh, uh, growing children in, 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 a, in a Christian home. And I believe that those are, are very important uh, um, uh, ingredients in, in, in growing kids in a Christian home. In addition to that, I think having them understand that they are a part of something greater than themselves. Um, the Christian community or, or the, the family of God is something greater than themselves as well as their physical and immediate family. And I believe that that's one of the things that have been lost um, in the modern day individualistic society that people feel that it's about the individual, but it's about community. My parents taught me that everything that I did reflected not only on myself, but on my family and on my community. So having the holistic approach to a, a Christian environment is more than just taking children to church and having you know uh, someone preach at them, but it's living it out in a holistic manner. And I, I think it is one of the most important factors in raising uh, healthy children. I'm gonna go a little different. <laughs> okay, uh, I was raised in the church and you know, the church is made up of good, bad, and indifferent. 
okay? And uh, that atmosphere taught me a lot because I got to see the good, the bad, and the indifferent to be able to choose who I wanted to imitate and emulate, okay? Uh, so I believe that the church is a great environment for the children because at least the good, the bad, and the different were all in one place as opposed to them being, as opposed to myself being only in the neighborhood or the hood, okay? So it gave me the ability in a safe environment to be able to discern people, okay? Um, so that would be my example of why it would be great for kids to grow up in a church. However, and I don't know if I'm jumping the gun, Balti, but um, there also comes a time of when you're raised, and I don't know if it's any environment or just church, there comes a time of rebellion, okay? Um, you start to learn and see some of the things that are going on there, and you say, I don't want that. I don't want to be a part of that. Or that particular individual that I thought was a leader is really not a leader. When you see him on the street, when you see him during the week, they become a different person. So uh, once I had uh, the ability uh, to decide what church I wanted to go to and did I want to continue, um, eventually I went back to church. Okay, uh, the Bible talks about train up a child. And uh, I was going to say this a little bit later, but training starts from the time that child takes its first breath. And I mean, now I'm trying to get my children to understand that as they're having children. Uh, but uh, that would be my best take on being raised or bringing your kids to church, realizing that if you train them up properly and you train them in church, they will come back with a different view. Uh, and their relationship with the Lord is what's important. Not that they come to church all of the time, but that they have a relationship with God, that they have an understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for them. Not that they're here, but that when you see them at home or when you see them when you visit them, okay, that their life shows you, okay, that what you raised them, what you taught them, what you took them to church, and mostly what you taught them at home shines in their life. Amen. Continuing in the same vein, how have your children responded to their Christian upbringing? Do you see the impact on their lives? and what they've achieved and in what they do. Uh, for example, in terms of their current participation in church, in terms of uh, knowing what to do, in terms of applying Christian principles to the affairs of their lives, things like that. How, how have they responded? And, and by the way, do, and, and I think uh, your children have been uh, pretty successful. Do they attribute, at least in part, their success to their Christian foundation? 
I don't know if they contribute. I, I guess they do, but you'd probably have to have them elaborate on that. But I would have, if, in speaking for them, I would say that they have been, you know, they, whatever success they have obtained, and they're still on the journey, that they can attribute it to a lot of what they learn uh, in the Christian environment as far as setting boundaries for themselves, uh, how they were going to conduct themselves. Uh, as children grow, you know, they go through changes and as parents, we want them to get it all at one time. But to each parent, it's a process. It's a process and each child is different. So if I looked at all three of my boys, I would have three different stories to tell. But the thing that brings it together is that they all understand uh, that God is the most important thing in their life and that everything that they receive in life is through God. Uh, whatever abilities they have, whatever success that they have is because of God. Because there's a few things that we don't choose. We don't choose the families that we're born into. We don't choose our environments. We don't even choose the time, century, and place that we were born. So whatever we achieve is to God's glory. And ha having them understand that is, is very important. Now, I think you mentioned something about activity in the church. Well, I just, for example, are, are they active in the church? Say, it, their situation may not permit it, but just if, if, if they are. Uh, no, they're not. And I'm just going to be honest, they're not. At this point in time, they're not active in any particular church. But that's not a demerit. That's part of each person's personal development. Um, a lot of times we look at our children and we want to beat them up and, and, and you know, and make them do things that may not be coming from the heart. You know, they, they're sitting over there now and they ask me if, you know, I wanted them to come today. I want you to come if you want to come. You know, I'm not going to, you know, my parents made me come, you know. Um, but I want you to do it from your heart. So eventually, I believe that there will come a time, that based on the examples that they've seen around them, that they will be active and more active uh, in a church community. But we're praying and waiting. Amen. <laughs> okay. We can we say this. If you have been rooted and grounded in the church, the church is in you, whether you're actually in exactly. the church building. Uh, Stan? Uh, repeat the question so I answer it correctly. We're just talking about how have the children responded to their Christian upbringing in terms of their okay. life, got it. what got they're you. doing, got you. Got you. and are they active in the church? For example, do, 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 I got you. Yeah. I got you. Uh, again, a little different, Glenn, uh, because I have five. Mm -hmm. All right. So it kind of broadens it a little bit. Uh, and uh, I'll explain something this way, and I'm sure you've heard my wife talk about it and minister on it so much, uh, but never too much. The Holy Spirit plays a, a, a very large part 
in everything that they do. They were taught to pray in the spirit before a test. Uh, they would, they, I have five kids that were in a young age, probably before high school, were all born again, spirit-filled, uh, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. And they use their prayer language uh, to gain the success that they've had. Uh, they do talk to their mother a lot, but she always turns them back to the same thing. Okay, first of all, God's word told you that you can do anything. Okay, second, that you are gifted with the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to use that gift okay, to achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve. Uh, one of the things that she always says is that you, if you study and learn to uh, what you need to know, that the Holy Spirit will bring it back to your remembrance. So the Holy Spirit paid a, a big part on their lives. Uh, I have two boys. One is in church. One isn't. One is part of a youth group in North Carolina. Uh, is very active in the church and his wife is. My youngest son is, uh, he's not in church. Uh, he definitely uh, prays in the spirit and uh, knows the word. He knows the word probably more than we realize with the, some of the comments that he comes back with. My three daughters, uh, the oldest daughter is a ministry of music in a church in Fort Lauderdale, so she's very active in the church. Uh, my 38-year-old daughter, who now has three boys, used to be more active in the church because she was a counselor following after her mother's footsteps. And for some of you here, you know that my youngest daughter, the 27-year-old, she may not be in church, but have you seen her app Okay, you'll know that she's been taught the word and that the word comes forth out of her all the time. So, uh, like I said, it's a little different story. And, and, and like you said, Glenn, it's, it's not a bad thing because as long as they are learners of the word and not just hearers only, okay, they're on the right side. I agree, Stanley. It's not just important to be in church, but it's most important to have the church in you. Exactly. Amen. Exactly. It's your relationship. All right. Picking up on this, what I'd, I'd like for the two of you to do, you can't talk about each of your children because we don't have the time. So I'm just going to arbitrarily pick a category. I'd like for each of you to tell the congregation a little bit more about your oldest child, child number one. In your case, it's Lamont. Lamont. In your case, it's Margarita. So just, just not on that, the two of them, uh, members of the congregation really uh, may recall because Lamont was at 96th Street. That's where he joined Crenshaw and so forth. So just, but tell him a little bit about his background, what he's doing, his career and so forth. Just take a, a, a little bit of time to okay, bring, Lamont, bring, bring them up to date. On the Lamont is our uh, old, uh, Yilta and I, oldest son, we like to call him a honeymoon baby because he was born only nine months after we were married. Uh, and we, I was 22 years old when I got married. I think Yilta was 
2019, about to turn 20. 21. So, yeah. 21. No. 21. No, you weren't. <laughs> you, <laughs> well, whatever it was, we were very, very young. And we, we got this baby. We didn't know. We didn't know what to do. Um, but, you know, we took instructions from our parents, her parents, uh, you know, and, and just went on the things that we were taught. And one of the things that we tried to do is put them in good environments, um, you know, working collectively as, as a family. And that does, not just the immediate family, but my brothers and my sisters, my in-laws, my brother-in-laws, my sister-in-laws. It's been a collaborative effort. But Lamont had the opportunity to start on Wall Street uh, at Goldman Sachs when he was about 13. Uh, he went to a hedge fund, uh, started working uh, part-time at a hedge fund at age 14. I don't know if any of you watched the show Billions. I don't know if you're familiar with the show, but that's what a hedge fund is. That's the type of environment that, that he had to navigate. Um, his story has been written several times in Black Enterprises and other periodicals. Uh, currently, he now resides in London, where he is uh, uh, a director um, at uh, an international bank, and he runs all of their U.S. Treasury business for Europe and Asia. And it takes him around the world. He travels extensively. But most importantly, and I, I brought him a Father's Day card, and this is his first Father's Day. He had, they had a baby five months ago, so I'm a grandfather, five months. <laughs> I, you know, and I picked out a Father's Day card, and it's one of the few times you go in a card store and you find the card that has the words that you, that you could have written yourself about the individual. And what, basically, what it said was that, you know, we were proud of him as a son, not because of the kind of car that he drives, and he has a nice car, and not because of the amount of money that he makes, because he makes more than most, but it's his spirit and the way he gives to others and gives of himself to others that make us the most proud of him. So. In synopsis, that's Lamont's story, my oldest. Tell, uh, tell us a little bit more about Argerita, uh, Stan. That's your oldest. Got to tell you more about her. Okay, Argerita's 40 years old. At 37, between 37 and 38, she uh, got her doctorate in music. She's a uh, jazz performer. She sings and plays the flute. She's just became the mother of a beautiful daughter about two weeks ago. And uh, I, I think that uh, I've already said that she's the ministry of music for a church called The Fountain in, uh, in um, Fort Lauderdale. Uh, Hopefully, she will be uh, moving on to another church very shortly. So y'all be in agreement with that. <laughs> All right. We're talking about learning 
from observing a good example. As Jesus was a good example, Apostle Paul was a good example, Apostle Price is a good example. Uh, let's talk about how important it is uh, for the father to be a good example. The best teacher or the best teaching method is teaching by example. In other words, not just saying do what I say do, but do as what you, you see me do and so forth. So speak to the importance of, and you've touched on this already, the importance of the example that you set in the household. Uh, the importance of the example that you set in the household is paramount because as human beings, we learn more by example than by anything else. We, we garner more from the environment more than anything else. So setting a good environment and making your home an oasis, regardless of what community you reside in, when you walk through the doors of your home, that should be an oasis. Your children shouldn't be walking into a battlefield between mom and dad and strife, but a safe place. So setting that environment, the home as a safe place is, is fundamental uh, in, in the child developing uh, a sense of security. And then the example of how you handle yourself outside of your home, the things that you do, the friends that you have, the people you know, that you run with, you know, are, are very, very important. The words that you speak. One of the people who were in, was influential in my life was a coach that I sat under. He was uh, the defensive coordinator. I coached football, by the way, for about uh, almost 20 years of my life. And one of the coaches that I sat under was a defensive coordinator at one time for the New York Jets. And he talked about the words that you speak, how you speak to players, and setting a positive note, not always beating them down, but letting them know that they can achieve, they will achieve, you know, walking them through the process. I believe that that type of example is fundamental rather than just, uh, you know, religious, self-righteous type of an example. Uh, has been effective uh, in my life. Uh, my children imitate me. They imitate their mother. That's their example. Uh, if my boys come to church or when they're handling business, they're gonna dress like their daddy dresses. When their mom goes to the school to see the teachers or whatever it may be, my daughter does the same thing now. She dresses, they imitate. They do exactly what we do, what we did with them, okay? So it's very important that you always, always are a good example. One of my sons worked with me for years and uh, he paints just like me. My oldest son, he handles himself 
just like me, okay? Even my daughter, Argerita, the oldest one, will tell you. She handles things in the church. She tries to weigh which part of her is handling what, whether I'm gonna handle this like mommy or I'm gonna handle this like daddy. So it's very important, you know, that the kids understand who they are and they see who they are by the example that the parent sets. Uh, that would be my best shot at that. I, I could not agree with you more, Stan. You know, one thing when you're young is that you say you're not going to be like your parents. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Everybody said, I'm not going to be like them. I'm not going to be like them. But at the end of the day, guess who you turn out to be? <laughs> like your parents. So it's important that, so the examples that we're setting are set, not just setting it for our children, it's setting it for generations. Because my son's even though they may say they're not gonna do it, when rubber hits the road and they have children and they're in the same place, they're gonna handle it just like dad. They're gonna say, what would dad have done? My father passed away 21 years ago and I always say, the older I get, the wiser he becomes. <laughs> and, and, and to add to that a little bit, when you really think about it, when we tried to, when we were handling challenges with the children, the only place that we looked was at each other. Because whatever you saw in the kids, it came from us. Amen. So if the kid had a certain way to do a certain thing, he either got it from me or he got it from her. So when you're disciplining a child, when you're encouraging a child, remember, you're just either encouraging yourself or your wife because that's who they are. So I think that you've spoken to that very well. It, it's so important the kind of ethical behavior you maintain, the integrity you exhibit, the fact that you deal with people honestly, uh, the, the fact that uh, you relate to people uh, in a Christian uh, manner in the sense that we were talking about in discipleship training this morning, the golden rule that you do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. They need to see that, and you've, you've spoken to that. And I know some parents teach their kids to do unto others before they do unto you. <laughs> and, uh, it, so the kind of example you set is so important that I think you've spoken to that very well. Uh, let, me, let me ask you this in terms of the, uh, the Christian ethics in terms of backdrop and so forth. Uh, you taught your children, I'm asking this question, you taught your children such basic things as, as uh, physical, physical, fis, fiscal, F-I-S, mon monetary responsibility, you know, the importance of saving money, things like that, uh, the importance of, of, of being self-reliant uh, to the extent that they could. Uh, the importance of self-esteem, the importance of relating to other, uh, others in their age group and relating to the opposite sex, things like that. Uh, all of that's part of the upbringing at home. 
So I'm assuming that all, you both had experience in all of those things. Yeah, that, 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 that's, a, that's a lot right there. Yeah, that was big. Uh, yeah, that was, that was big, but I'm going to try to give you the abbreviated version. Uh, yes, uh, it's important to, to talk to your children about a lot of things. And a lot of times, you know, we, we preach to our children. Um, but it's important to have, uh, one of the things that was imp important, in, I believe that was important in the development uh, uh, in the relationship of my children was the time that we spent um, playing sports. Um, you know, going to practice, coming from practice, just talking about life, talking about things, you know, um, just conversing. And I, I think they probably learn more of that. And we covered, you know, a plethora of subjects, you know, whatever the, the, the subject of the day might have been. It may have been money, it may have been girls, it may have been, you know, interacting socially with, you know, their teammates or or their friends, whatever the subject of the day. And I think they they learn more than a lot of times we, you know, take the approach and we're shaking the finger and we're preaching. And I've done that too, and I still do. But, you know, when you step back from it, you think, you know, okay, you know, will they learn more, at, you know, having those conversations at brunch or, you know, maybe a trip to the movies, you know, the time that you spend uh, intimately with your children, you get a, an opportunity to cover uh, a variety of, of, of teaching subjects rather than always looking to teach in a crisis situation. Um, it, it is a good approach that that I would recommend, and that I even you know I have to minister to myself sometimes because I like to preach sometimes you know and <laughs> you know but when I look at who they become, it's not because of the preaching; it's because of the other time that was invested in in their personal development. Again, my children imitate us, my wife and myself. Uh, my oldest daughter, although she is pursuing, uh, uh, always pursuing a job, always has in mind of going into business for herself. Uh, my youngest son, although he has a job, he has a business that he runs for a little business that he runs on the side. Uh, my oldest son, I just learned uh, my trip to North Carolina on my way back from Florida that uh, he no longer works in corporate. He's got three little separate businesses that he runs and he's been successful with it. He just purchased his first house. Uh, so again, now my other daughter is uh, big in a Fortune 500 company. so. She's not looking at anything, just raising her voice. But uh, again, they imitate. I've been in business for 40 years. I don't think my children have ever seen me work for somebody. So for them, they don't want to work for anybody. They want to develop something where they can work for themselves. So children live, uh, learn what they live. 
we've always talked business around them. My wife helps me in my business. She does invoices. She does several things in the business. So uh, my daughter did a website for me. She wants to be in business. Her app is about her starting her own business at 27. Um, the importance of finances and that type structure, it's all something that they've seen as they were growing up. It's all a conversation. When we sat around the kitchen table, we talked about customers, uh, who the customer was, what type of business he was in. So again, the children are gonna imitate what they, what they see in their parents. My wife has always exercised entrepreneurial skills. Did I say that right? Good. Um, she's always had something, okay, that she did on her own. And whatever it was that she did, she always rose to the top in it. Okay? So the children saw that. They're imitating it. Let me ask you this question. Uh, uh, and it's based on my own experience growing up in a church home where we were required to go to church. My father's rule was as long as you lived under his rooftop, you're going to church on Sunday. But would you say it's easier or, or sometimes more challenging to bring up kids in a Christian home? And by that I mean this, I can remember kids making fun of us because we got dressed on Sunday morning and went to church. They didn't have to go. There were other things that, 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 uh, that we had to observe, like curfew uh, uh, and certain behavioral things that, uh, that, that we couldn't do that they could do, uh, and, and so on. So speak to, to that, that, is it easier or is it more of a challenge sometimes, or it's a combination of both? It's probably a combination of both, Uncle Balti. My personal experience, though, I didn't have a challenge with, too much of a challenge with those things. Um, our families, collectively, you know, not just our immediate families, we went to church, that's what we did. And, um, you know, my children were never really allowed to get too close to the kids in the street, you know, so they never had that much of an influence on whether they... Was this because they lived in Harlem? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was part of the reason, you know, but it could have been Harlem, it could be Brooklyn, it could be Queens, it could be pretty much any neighborhood. You don't want your kids to become intertwined in the streets because the streets have a way of snatching kids. So you want to keep them off the street. We tried to keep them in structured activities. Um, where things were supervised. So we, you know, going to church and their peers and everything w was never really a problem. But, you know, there's a, time, a point in time when kids become teenagers that, you know, they don't want to get up on Sunday morning. They'd rather sleep, you know. And I was of the ilk, kind of like my dad and like Uncle Balti's dad. If you live in the house, you're going to go to church. I'm not recording. Now, my parents, we went to, ch we went to church. I mean, it was revivals, tent meetings. We, if we had a tent meeting that last, you know, four weeks. Guess what? We were at the tent meeting every night for four weeks. So, I, I, you know, I tell my kids, look, I'm at, you know, Sunday morning, you know, is, is not too much to ask. But 
it wasn't that much of a challenge and we didn't have too much rebellion when it comes to church. Now, after they become adults, then they have to figure it out for themselves and you can't impose your values on another adult. You just pray for them and hope that they believe, not hope, but believe that they'll go in the right direction. Sunday morning, the habit for me growing up was, actually it wasn't just Sunday morning, I went to church on Sunday, I went to prayer meeting on Tuesday, I went to Bible study on Thursday, <laughs> I was in the youth ministry Amen. on Saturday, Amen. okay, until I got to the age of uh, probably 16. I went to Bible camp during the summer, so it was definitely uh, something that I had to do. Uh, I won't say that I didn't like doing it, it was, it was routine, okay? Uh, and you know what? My kids learned that routine too, okay? We used to drive, used to drive, we still drive. <laughs> <laughs> I still drive an hour, hour and a half to go to church, okay? Um, when we were, we went to another church that was uh, upstate New York and uh, I live out on Long Island. You know, we had a routine on Sunday. We left the house at 6.30 in the morning and uh, we went to church. After church, we went to lunch. After lunch, you know, depending on what was happening at church, we might go back to church or, you know, so the kids, it became a routine for them, just like getting up in the morning, going to school. It's a routine, okay? And I think that as they become teenagers, they start to realize that they have the power to be able to say, I want to stop that routine or I want to continue that routine. Some continued uh, as radical as we were and uh, some didn't. The good part is that their relationship with God in all of them has continued. Uh, that's, no, that, that's good. Let me ask the two of you this. Uh, what advice would you give a young man who has marriage and fatherhood in his immediate future? What, 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 what advice, sage advice would you give him? Uh, Depends on the young man. <laughs> you know, you're asking us a question, and, and, and I think both Glenn and I, because we both grew up in the church, um, it's what young man am I speaking to? The man in the church, the man in the street, you know, um, that's, a, that's a big question. You know, it, it really depends because as there's a young man in the church here that, um, you know, I know his parents or his mother really wants him to be in church. Uh, and he finally rebelled and he's not here. I, my advice to him would be, don't forget your relationship with God. It's not about church. It's about your relationship and knowing the Lord. Now, if you're outside the church, my thought would be get them into a relationship with God. Get them to know who God is and what he's done for them. Because if he follows those examples, he'll be successful in whatever he does. The advice I would give, give to a young um, man who's considering marriage and 
fatherhood is understanding that all the, you know, I love you, baby, and, you know, all this sweet talk on the phone, you know, is, is all good, but that's only going to take you but so far. You know, um, that is going to take a committed heart and soul to making a marriage work first and foremost, and then just as committed to be a good father. Um, the commitment level is tremendous. The load sometimes gets very heavy. And, you know, when you're a father, you're expected to be Superman all the time. And there are times when it can be difficult. But I would tell a young man that there is no love like parenthood. You know, we think we've loved in our life, but once you have a child, you really experience love at a whole new level that you cannot comprehend until you're in that position. And being a father helps me understand my Heavenly Father's relationship with me and how much he loves me and the love that he shared in giving his son to me. It's helped me in my relationship and how I view my children and how I love them when they, and correct them when they do good, when they do bad, but still love them anyway, has helped me in my relationship with God and understanding exactly how he feels toward me. But to sum it up, I think love, commitment, commitment, commitment is the most important things for a young man who's thinking about marriage and fatherhood. Just want to add communication, 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 and not just communication where you are talking to one another, but communication where you're listening, hearing, and understanding what the other person is saying. That's how you get to know one another and knowing one another, okay? Deeply knowing one another is, that surpasses everything because that's, that's, that's love. That's the love that you're going to have for each other. It surpasses whatever may happen because you understand the individual that you're married to or plan to marry. Communication. Looking back now, all of your children are adults. Uh, surveying the landscape, what grade would you give yourself as a father at this point? <laughs> Letter grade, you know, from F to A. I, plus. I don't know, Uncle Balti, because the exam is not finished Thank yet. Thank you. It's still a work in progress. Um, you know, one thing that I, I, I tell young fathers, uh, adding to what you know we were talking about before, is that 
this is a lifetime commitment. You know, a lot of times we think about raising children and we think about, oh, if we can get them to 18, if we can get them to 21, if we can get them here, we can get them, we're done. No, it, it is a lifetime commitment. So I would be remiss if I give myself a grade. I would be premature uh, in giving myself a grade because uh, the examination is not finished. I have three children and now I've started on the grandchildren, so it's gonna go to another level, and Trust all of me. that is gonna be cumulative in whatever grade I get uh, when they bring flowers that day. <laughs> <laughs> question, question answered, okay, and um, they'll be the ones to give the grade. That's how they grade you. Well, anyway, I can take the liberty of doing this since I know your children, Glenn, and I know your children, Stan, you both would get from me an A+. Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking for one from them, too. <laughs> so with that, let me conclude by reading a poem that I read every year on Father's Day. Oh, we have a question here. Okay, before you respond to that, let's conclude this, and we'll conclude, we'll come back to that, and we'll give time for two or three questions. Let me just conclude this with the poem that is an anonymous poem. I read it every year on Father's Day because I think it, it, it describes what a dad is so well, and it goes like this. God took the strength of a mountain, the majesty of a tree, the warmth of a summer sun, the calm of a quiet sea, the generous soul of nature, the comforting arm of night, the wisdom of the ages, the power of the eagle's flight, the joy of a morning in spring, the faith of a mustard seed, the patience of eternity, the depth of a family need. Then God combined these qualities when there was nothing more to add. He knew his masterpiece was complete, and so he called it Dad. That sort of sums up what a father had. Amen. So I, I think we can open it up for a couple of questions. Nate, you have a question? Did everybody hear the question? I don't know if you did. Elder Nate okay, was asking his, his, how, 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 how did your wife help you to become a good husband, better husband, good father, better father. That sort of sums it up. Well, personally, um, personally, it, it, it's because of the wife that I chose. Uh, I, I started with a great foundation based on the woman that I chose to marry because she came from a great home with a really good example of a good father and a good mother who molded her into the type of wife that a man would want to choose. So I, I started with a leg up, you know, but everyone is not uh, as blessed as that to start in that position. But I think what is important is for the parents to be on the same page when it comes to raising children. M my wife and myself, we, you know, she's, a, you know, w women are more nurturers 
you know, fathers, we are more, a little harder, more disciplinarians and, you know, but finding that blend and allowing, she allows me to do what I do and I allow her to do what she does best. And we stand together as far as the boundaries and the principles throughout the children's life so that they couldn't play mommy against daddy. You know, well, daddy said this. No, I disagree with dad. You know, we never disagreed openly. It was a united front so that, you know, we were consistent in whatever it was that we was trying to teach at the moment. So choosing a, a mate that will have, you can have a hand in glove relationship with in uh, raising the children is very important because when you have the vice of parents, when the wife and the husband are on two separate pages, you, what happens usually you'll have the inmates running the asylum. <laughs> you know, and uh, I've been blessed that uh, the woman I chose to marry and who chose me um, was, was just the perfect one to accomplish those goals. Uh, communication. I would come home from work, uh, even with the first child, we discussed everything. What the babysitter said, what this person said, what I did with it a day. Okay, I used to come home when I had three and four children at two o'clock in the morning, but I was gonna get a synopsis of what went on during the day. Uh, we raised our kids together. Now it's even better because of the communication my daughter went on an interview in Florida the other day. I got a text message of how the interview went from my wife's conversation with my daughter. We still, to this day, communicate about our children. So I would say that the woman's role is very strong. I don't uh, put her role under mine. We do it together. Remember, there are things about the child at whatever age they reach, because they're still our children. I've been there. She's been there. We discuss it with one another. We make decisions or we decide to talk to the children. You know, uh, my uh, daughter just having this, this child a couple of weeks ago, the decision for her to have uh, a C-section as opposed to waiting to have the baby vaginally it was, a, discussing, it was a, a decision my wife and I made together and then she went and talked to Argerita and talked her into it. But I don't know, Uncle Balti says nobody communicates as much as Ivor and Stan do but we found that we communicate about everything, and we always have, from the time we were, you know, 16. And my first phone call with Iva was three hours. First time I talked to her on the telephone, we talked for three hours. Hung up, 
and talked for another hour before we went to bed. Okay? Um, and our relationship has been that way. So whether you have children or not, communication with your partner is most important. It's been important in my life. Amen. Amen. At this point, I would like to invite all of the men here, all of the fathers, and all of the other men here to come forward around the uh, stage. And we want to say a special prayer for the men today. And then, just, you can just start coming forward. And then we want you to pass this way. We have a gift for you. Uh, Brother William, can you give me my bag? No, I can, uh, yeah, I'm gonna get something out of it, thanks. Let's pray for our men and fathers today. Heavenly Father, we come before you lifting up the men and the fathers here today and the fathers who are not here. We thank you for their lives, committed to leading their families according to your word. We pray that you will continue to use these men to lead their families and lead by example other men. We pray for the fathers who have given us life and love and pray that we are able to show them love and affection on this day, this day, as well as throughout the year. We pray for fathers who have lost a child through death, that they may find comfort and hope in your never-ending love. We pray for fathers who have died, that you, Father, may welcome them into that peaceful place that is without end, that it's without end, and that we may see them again. We ask you to bless and watch over those fathers who have lost a spouse to death or divorce, who are parenting their children alone. Strengthen them by your love that they may be and become the loving, caring persons they are meant to be. We pray that you will strengthen the fathers of our community and nation and that you will continue to empower Crenshaw Christian Center and other churches, organizations, and individuals to invest in fathers for the sake of our children. For the fathers here today and fathers everywhere, we pray for enduring strength, protection, wisdom, and discernment to help you through whatever trials you may be facing. Thank you, Father, for these men, and we pray that you will continue to guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and help them meet all their needs that they may experience your peace that passes all understanding. And now, to you men who are here today, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he lift up his countenance on you and give you peace in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now we have a gift. I think we just have one station. It's to my left, your right. And as you go, I'll explain what it is. It's a book entitled Wild at Heart. Discovering the Secret of a Man's Soul. Continued success. This is written by a best 
This is written by a best-selling, I forgot I'm not speaking into the mic, a best-selling uh, New York Times author. One of his earlier books was Making, I mean, Walking with God. This is an excellent book, men, and you will get a lot out of it. Lynn said he's read it twice, so he can attest that it's an excellent book. I would just like to say uh, thank you, Uncle Balti. Oh, you know what? You just took the, the words out of my mouth. I forgot to thank you and stand. Thank no. you. For thank you. For allowing us the opportunity to share what little bit we have to share. And I hope that it was a blessing and a help to someone here. And um, we'll be seeing you. <laughs> thank you both again. Our hope.